2: Bye. This money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete and Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and Dan Nathan. Tonight, stocks surging again today, but one top strategist says the Fed cut euphoria has gone too far. Julian Emanuel of BTIG will be here to explain. Plus, it's the biggest defense deal ever. Raytheon and United Technologies merging for a combined value of more than $150 billion. The chart master will tell us what it means for the rest of the group. But first, we start off with the rally rolling on, and it's just like May was just a dream. The S&P 500 about 2% away from all-time highs as the U.S. and Mexico strike a deal over the weekend, avoiding the tariffs President Trump had threatened. And the big winner, well, it might be a hot summer for retail. The group on track for its best month since January as it bounces back. And the moves have been across the board. Online retailer Stitch Fix rallying 22% just this month. Under Armour up double digits. Walmart hitting a fresh 52-week high. And even Dollar General sitting at record highs. So... Are we in for a summer shopping, and are any retailers a bargain buy right here? Pete Nigerian? I think it's really
3: tough to find bargains in the, what we're looking at right now because I think the quality names have performed. I think the guys that aren't quality and the discounters are the ones that have absolutely crushed it for sure. Look at TJ Maxx. Look at Ross Stores. Look at Target, Walmart. Those kind of names have done extremely well. L Brands, Macy's, uh, Nordstrom, all struggling. So I think it is about quality, Mel, and it comes down to that, but I think if you're looking at there's one that still stands out, I still think it's inexpensive, it's Target. Because I look at the PE and I look at their margins, I look at all the different metrics we all look at every day, and they had a great quarter this past quarter. I think that they are still inexpensive. If the market's going to continue to go to the upside, and somebody said, and we had this debate earlier today on the network, but Walmart, or target, it's easy. It's Target. Target has far more room to the upside. I think it's going to get closer and closer to $100 in the next couple of months. And, yeah, but- and there's
1: a lack of a short side. I'm sorry, right. the lo- lack of a short interest in those names. So yep. coal stores, short interest is 19%. Rallied hard today. So the more junk you have on these rallies, that's what's going to rally first in retail. Well, I would say, I mean, I, I agree with Pete on Target, but Walmart has been on a tear as well. I thought last week that
4: that actually was going to be over, but it still continues. The momentum is with it, and it looks like it wants to break out to a five-year high. So if you have a strong market behind you, I think Walmart you're playing. In yeah, retail. so it's
5: interesting. I mean, you know, I don't know how you want to put the, these into buckets. I mean, when you think about Walmart, Costco, uh, Target, and then let's throw in Dollar General, they all seem kind of defensive to me when you think about it. and Think about what's really performed well over the last couple months. It's been utilities, it's been telcos and stuff like that. So those have been in that bucket. Um, And then I look at, you know, guys, you cannot avoid how poorly on a relative basis Home Depot and Lowe's have traded. And we know that Lowe's had that huge gap a couple weeks ago or uh, last month on earnings. And then, you know, the department stores is just a mess. I mean, when you talk about what worked today, why we're talking about retail, we had short squeezes in Kohl's, um, in Macy's, JWM, Nordstrom's, and those are Heavily shorted and they're down 50% from their 52 week highs. So, to me, I don't think you can take anything new away from those stocks rallying today versus what Walmart and Target and Costco have been doing for weeks now. So my just,
2: pushback, oh, sorry, just but the my... nature of being defensive. Yeah, Investors I just to with it. We haven't even talked about the potential tariffs on the remaining $300 billion yeah. of imports in China. Yeah. And where do you want to be in retail if those tariffs go into effect? You probably, probably want to be in the biggest retailers Those that, are the the biggest, well, yep. that can p- potentially weather those tariffs. The best. And those that
3: have, you already know their execution is right on time. I mean, when you look around and you see the numbers that are given by some of these different companies, it's incredible. Costco does an amazing job. I think Target does an amazing job. Walmart does a great job. The problem for Walmart is most of their business has a very low margin to it when you're talking about groceries, 50-plus percent of the revenue. So that's the problem I have with that name. But uh, What is targeting but, you
2: know, comparison? It's 20 the percent. They oh, okay. have five different just,
3: segments. Just all think 20%. about what you're
1: saying, though. If those tariffs go into effect... That what do people do to get ahead of the tariffs? They ordered a lot more inventory. Who benefits from a lot more inventory orders? Ross Stores, Ali, TJ, TJX. Those Early. are the names you want to be if it goes into effect. If you don't, you want to be covering the short names. Well, I'm actually surprised that Home Depot hasn't outperformed, because
4: there are no tariffs on houses. So you would think that people would be buying stuff for their houses. You wouldn't have to worry about that would be your defensive sector. It has not at all. It's actually underperformed, as Dan mentioned. And that one is the one that I actually would get out of if I was in. Oh,
3: I disagree. All right, bring uh, it on. I'm, I'm not in it right now, but I would say this. Here's a company that, when you look at February and you look at April, they were the worst weather months that they've seen in a very long time. And I know that sounds terrible to blame it on weather. This was real. I mean, you can go back and you can look at February and April and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've had flooding, we still have flooding going on. All around the country, there is something going on that's been an issue for Home Depot. And yet, they're 23% growth in their e-commerce. I mean, they still hit their numbers out. So I, I look at the company, and I think it hasn't performed because everybody was a little bit, they wanted to pull back and see how they're going to be able to do. Well, it's Christmas and spring, and right now I think they're absolutely out. When, when are you going to get in? I, I, got out and, I got out a while ago. I'm looking you should at it be right getting now. back in. I, I think looking I am where getting where back rates in. rates
1: are right now. There's going to be more home equity loans. There's going to Correct. be more people purchasing so. homes. Lennar is up 36% year to date. You're going to see a lot of this recycling through. People were worried about global growth they're worried about the consumer and i think this is a shot of adrenaline for all of that for sentiment if the market halts.
2: Is retail in general the place you want to be with the markets at just 2% away from all record highs and potential $300 billion? I don't really
5: think so. And and I'll just tell you this. I mean, obviously, the market has breathed a little bit of sigh of relief over the last four or five trading days when it seemed like those tariffs with Mexico, um, our ally, are not going to go into effect. But I think that it's important to remember the sort of volatility that we saw across all these sectors that were perceived to be really adversely affected if there were new tariffs. And I think that this calendar in June is going to get really short very quickly as we start thinking about the G20. And if we get into July when we're expecting a lot of earnings from U.S. companies, um, we're going to get some murky guidance. So to your point, Mel, you know a couple percent from those all-time highs, I don't think there's a whole heck of a lot of torque to break out unless you get some substantive trade right. deal in the next few which weeks. Is, I which think I think happening. is unlikely at yeah. this
4: point. I mean, you maybe, maybe, even if she shows up, you might get a move forward, but I think it's very unlikely. The key is going to be the uncertainty. That's my biggest concern right now. We can have the Fed cut rates as much as they want, but what are companies doing Doing. How are they planning in this environment of uncertainty? And I'm not sure that the Fed is able to pick that up. And I'm not convinced at all that the Chinese tariffs are going any going away anytime soon. But just
2: think about what's in
6: the
1: back pocket of Trump.
2: What is in the back pocket of Trump?
1: Positive trade headline. We've seen all the negative head, hey, trade headlines. He gets a couple of positive ones like he got today. That's or not even, in the back
2: pocket. He's hoping it's going to be in the back pocket. It's well, nowhere in well, pocket we know that we know the pocket at all. Do, can we agree that the negative one is in the
1: market? The negative no, ones in the market. Not He's at got all. Possi- it hasn't been in the market. I, not. I now. don't know what market you're trading. You, not now. I don't think it has been. I a market talking-
2: that is two percent away from all-time highs. It's in the market that there's going to be an additional round of tariffs on every single import we bring in from it, China. It
1: was before the most important thing happened, which was the Fed turning again softer. So I think ultimately so, so. this is about the all Fed, right. and now you have a couple of rate cuts. Well, I, what, what is not in the A couple of headlines. But
4: what's not in the market is a longer. Than expected trade war, something that lasts until the election, which in my view is probably something the Chinese are thinking about. Why wouldn't they drag it out until the election? They've got plenty of money that than they, than they can print it, out. My it hurts them there. more than it hurts us. That's
3: exactly right. That's where I was going. I think it hurts them more than it hurts us. And I know everybody's got their opinion on this matter. I see that hurting them far more. I think their losses are far more. I know Trump's numbers weren't exactly right, what he talked about today, on, the, on uh, earlier in the day, Rocking. but I think they are somewhat closer to where the numbers really are in terms of they are hurting far more so than we are. Well, oh, I think
2: that there's plenty more pain that the Chinese could exact on U.S. companies operating sure. in China mm-hmm. in terms they sure of supply right. and, if we start and sourcing, supply chains right. yep. and
1: just And what happens like if that?
2: people start sourcing outside of China? somehow doesn't I want know, to lose
1: any guys. Let's
5: talk about one thing. This morning Squawk and Friends, the president mentioned uh, this trade deficit. I think that most people who are looking for a, <laughs> a substantive deal are not focused. <laughs> on the trade deficit they're focused on these forced technology issues and how do you get compliance on those issues the threat of tariffs so the tariffs are probably going to stick around longer than okay. people think
2: while the market rally rolls on the feds next move remains front and center for wall street president trump sounding off on squawk box earlier this morning
7: <laughs> they haven't listened to me and you know we have people it's more than just jay powell uh, we have people on the fed that really weren't uh, you know they're not my people But uh, they certainly didn't listen to me because they made a big mistake. They raised interest rates far too fast. That's number one. Number two, they did
6: quantitative tightening.
2: Julian Emanuel is BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. He joins us with his reaction. Julian, good to have you with us.
6: Great to be here.
2: Um, What do you think the market is pricing in right now in terms of the Fed?
6: The market's pricing in a little bit too much in terms of rate cuts. Look. I go back to April 1st, when BTIG made the call for two cuts this year. A lot of people thought it was an April Fool's joke. Well, clearly it wasn't. The market has swung completely the other direction now. People are calling, you know, there's a probability, a good probability, of an expectation for a cut in July. It's not going to happen. There's a probability for three or maybe even four cuts in 2019 That doesn't happen unless the economic numbers really start to decelerate very meaningfully. And from what we've seen in the past, numbers like Friday's employment number tend to be one-off. So the Fed is going to be patient here, particularly when they're getting pressure politically to do it. They want to maintain that air of independence, which they maintain in December, perhaps by going a little bit too far. But uh, be that as it may, we think two cuts this year.
2: It seems like most of Wall Street is hypnotized by this notion of an insurance rate cut that is going to happen, that it doesn't necessarily need to show up in the economic data. But as long as the trade war seems to be chugging along and not really resolving that the Fed might actually embark on a rate cut, to be sure that it doesn't hit the hard data. You're not in that camp at all.
6: Well, no, we we certainly are. The the rationale for cutting is sort of twofold. First of all, the Fed has made it very clear that it wants inflation higher. There are very few things that the Fed can actually do to try and get that to happen. Rate cutting is one of them. QE, forget about it. You know, we're still uh, waiting for the end of the balance sheet roll off. Um, But the other aspect of it is this knowledge, and and they didn't see it properly last year, that a trade war is inherently disinflationary. You thought the price of these things would go up because of tariffs? Well, let's guess again. People are buying less. Trade is decreasing. And we're talking about it here. The fact is, if you continue to escalate, you're going to precipitate a global downturn. The Fed is going to inoculate against that.
4: So, Julian, on that point, can a Fed rate cut and multiple Fed rate cuts guard against a global downturn because of tariffs? Or do they do they not have the bullets to do that?
6: Uh, Well, if we go 25 percent across the board on everything, obviously, the market responded very favorably to backing away from the brink uh, with, with regard to Mexico. And it's very clear that the market in our view will continue to respond favorably to better than expected incoming news on that front If you go to a full-on global trade war, there's very little that the Fed can do, particularly when interest rates are minus 20 basis points in Germany, you know, minus in Japan, et cetera.
2: So nothing can, so if if we do go into a full-blown trade war, 3,000 by the end of the year, which is your target, is off the table.
6: It won't happen. happen. Uh, Yeah, Uh, basically, we've done a lot of work talking about, call it Cold War multiples, sort of 1960 to 1989, the Berlin Wall fell, then you had, you know, economic sort of renaissance multiples. If we go into an economic Cold War, we will go into the multiples of that earlier period, which is basically four to five multiple points lower than where we are now on the S&P, despite the interest rate environment. That's 2350. We don't think it happens. We think that ultimately Trump and Xi will meet at at the end of this month, and they'll find a way to signal that they're going to keep talking. And that should be enough for markets. And
2: there's nothing the Fed can do, be it one rate cut or three rate cuts this year, that could offset that Cold War multiple?
6: Well, and in, in fact, if they actually cut 50, 75, 100 basis points the first time out, that's likely to frighten markets. And the, the markets will see the potential longer-term effects. What's of this. the
3: likelihood of that, though? I mean, is that something you guys are anticipating or, or not, in uh, terms of the, the size of the cut?
6: We think it's 25 in September, 25 in December, but we've had conversations with clients who think they could really go with the quote-unquote big bazooka. We don't think it turns out that way, but the fact is, again, when you look at the trade war, you know, the president needs to get reelected in 2020. And you go back to 1992, George Bush was a one-term president, Because the economy turned down. It's not going to happen.
2: Julian, thanks for coming by. Thank you. Julian Emanuel of BTIG. What do you think you know, of it?
5: All of that makes sense. And I think the most important point, if you're saying that the Fed obviously can pat a, uh, combat a potential fade war, uh, trade war with with cuts, but also wants to get inflation, what did the last 10 years tell us? That their Fed's ability to kind of stoke inflation with rate cuts in QE, right. it doesn't really matter. So that's a false choice in and of itself. And then I go back to the, you know, what was it? December 1st, the last G20 meeting we had, and we had hopes of kind of subverting, you know, some sort of trade war. And what did the S&P 500 do? It went from 2,800 on the announcement of a phony deal, okay, down to what? Where'd it go, Steve? 2350? Wasn't that your number? December, or something like that. So to me, I just think if you're buying the market right now because you're looking for Xi and Trump to kick the can down the road at the end of this month,
1: that may not be a great
5: entry point for equities
1: right here. So, so when Julian said that the market is looking at a rate cut in July, what it's not looking at is a rate hike. I think as long as there are zero hikes, as long as they're dovish, you have that in the back pocket. And if data turns negative, then you get the cut. If you don't, if data doesn't turn negative, you have more positive data, you don't need the cut. I think the market is capable of moving up. It sounds so a little be a like. you would a buyer here close to 20 I am a buyer. I yeah. am invested. I think it's a little like Goldilocks to me. I, I mean, I'm just worried that the
4: Fed is, the Fed can cut rates. I just don't know if they can offset a global trade war. I worry about Europe. I trade war with them. I worry that the Chinese are going to wait until the election. So for me, I just think it's at the very least it's time to buy puts, right? Why not protect your portfolio a little bit in this environment?
3: You're exactly right. You took the words out of my mouth. When you look at a VIX that's trading 16 in a market that's all over the map, I mean, we had a big push down not that many days ago. Days ago. We had that big push to the downside, and now we've had this huge week last week and obviously today added a little bit more to it. Mel, with a 16-vix, why wouldn't you? That way you can still be a cowboy. You can still own it and now own those puts at a very reasonable level. Giddy up. That's yep. how you giddy up indeed, my man.
2: All right, coming up, Raytheon United Tech combining forces in the biggest defense deal ever. The chart will be here to break down what it means for the industrial sector. Plus, Slack... Getting ready for its public debut next week, and the CEO is speaking now after the $17 billion unicorn just gave guidance. We've got the details next and later. Talk about a buzzkill. Molson Coors taking a hit today as one top analyst says this company cannot keep up with the competition. We will explain. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean
0: to be rich?
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Slack delivering guidance ahead of its direct listing next week. The CEO is speaking on a conference call right now. So let's get to Deidre Bosa in San Francisco for more on this story. Deidre. Melissa, Slack
0: reiterating that it's planning its direct listing for June 20th, and CEO and co-founder, uh, Stuart Butterfield, founder, excuse me, just gave updated numbers on that call, talking about its highest-paying customers as of April 31st. He said that Slack has 645 paying customers with over $100,000 in annual recurring revenue. That is up from 575 as of the end of last year. Keep in mind, though, that these customers make up a disproportionate amount of Slack's total revenue. Butterfield also talked about Slack's ultimate goal of replacing email. But big ambitions, but with its Q2 and full year guidance, Slack is looking more like an Uber than it does a Zoom. Of course, both unicorns have been received very differently by public investors, public market investors. And Slack's forecast of slowing revenue growth and widening losses is that same combination that has kept Uber shares mostly under its IPO price since its listing. One thing that Slack may have in common with Zoom, though, which has performed much better, is its stickiness or the sort of vibe Viral adoption that gets enterprises into its ecosystem. Butterfield on this call going on right now also acknowledging and say that and saying that the most important measures of their success
2: will be their long-term adoption and engagement. Back over to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. So will Slack look more like Beyond Meat or more like Uber when it goes public next week? And Dan, we should be clear, this is a direct listing, Stop. so slightly different.
5: So we have, we have a good reference point. Spotify mm-hmm. last year did a direct listing and that stock traded actually very well. People were very surprised by it, but I'll just say this, that when you lack the institutional support by all those underwriters, um, when things get hairy, who knows what can happen? You know, Spotify's down 30% from its highs. It's trading only up a few percent year over year from that d- direct listing price. So to me, Slack, very different business model. It's obviously focused on the enterprise here, but I think the comparison to Uber is a good one.
4: Well, but 645 customers that make up all, <laughs> almost all your revenue, revenue. That's scares well, me. No, I meant
5: not... the slowing yeah, growth. End. Yeah, right, right. But I mean, in similar. terms of
4: this one, so it is similar in a direct Listing, but in terms of do you want to buy this? You better make sure that those customers are darn happy. Not only that, there are competitors out there that are giving stuff away for free. So I, I don't know. I think this is direct listing because they want to give liquidity to their folks. I'm not sure this is a buy on there's the open. A,
1: there's a lot of uniqueness. They're, they're supposed to be, you know, this cool angle to it. But I think the unicorns kind of have lost a little bit of the horn, uh, so to speak. <laughs> yeah the horses. Uber and the, the Lyft, the Ubers, some <laughs> magical just horses. Just a plain old horse. So no, you, you, have, you have a lot. Of of these things that uh, everyone's point if they have a 40% or even more greater reliance on these bulk People and then and then you're going to have Microsoft and Facebook come in there and commoditize the business and take it away, slowing revenue already. I have a real problem.
4: Was that really
2: My, the number? Six hundred forty-five. Six hundred forty-five. That's
4: what I that saw. Seems, Enterprise. Uh, well, but but either case, they have a disproportionate amount of whatever the number is. A right. disproportionate amount of their customers on those large right. on those so large accounts. Forty percent of the revenue. You, you better make sure they're happy, and you better make sure none of your competitors undercut you. Which in Silicon Valley and this type of product, it's going to happen. My biggest issue with uh, this IPO
3: is this. And it's, it, it smells like snap to me. And what I mean by that is when you finally decide you're going to go public and you're already slowing growth before you've actually IPO'd and all the, all the other negatives we were just talking about, bookings and everything else, that's a bad sign to me. And that's that would be why I would not, if I got it on an IPO, I'd love it. I'd sell it that day, I wouldn't probably touch it for two months.
2: You know, it's funny because we've always said that the markets, you know, you have a good market. We, we do have a fairly good market right now. We're almost at all-time highs right now, but yet the market has no appetite for these sorts of issues that have no clear path to profitability.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quality. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I, there's no doubt about it. Slack is a very innovative company. They're doing things that have existed before. Remember, AOL Instant Message doesn't exist anymore. It's kind of a fancy version of that. I think you guys hit on it, Facebook, Microsoft, Google. They're all coming for these guys. Um, one really important point, initial public offering, you're usually making an offering to the public to raise capital. Direct listing, you're right. not raising Money. capital. Yeah. I, at this time, would love to put a few billion dollars in the coffers, you know what I mean, of the corporate coffers to give you that buffer and a downturn. They're not doing that. Spotify didn't do that. So at some point, you have to expect secondary offerings all
2: right i'm melissa lee you're watching fast money and cnbc first in business worldwide in the meantime here's what else is coming up on fast
3: it's b home. e beer stocks are running higher this year but there's one name that wall street says is tapped out and yes that's a hint we've got those details plus it's merger monday
8: oh. We're a team. We're in this together.
3: And United Technologies and Raytheon are teaming up for the biggest defense deal ever. But are the stocks really better together? The Chartmaster weighs in. There's much more Fast Money right after this.
6: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to ai
4: common side effects include increased productivity compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction
6: now i can say bye-bye to writer's block
4: ask your boss if canva magic is right for you at canva.com designed for work canva.
0: what's on the horizon for financial markets
2: Welcome back to Fast Money, a mega merger today. As Raytheon and United Technologies announced that they are coming together in an all-stock deal to create an aerospace and defense company second only to Boeing in size, with nearly $200 billion in combined market cap, just under $75 billion in annual sales. Both stocks have soared through the first half of 2019, up about 20% on the year, far outpacing the broader markets. And with stocks in rally mode after a rough May, the chartmaster says defense might be your best offense. Carter Worth, over at the Plaza to break it all down. Hey, Carter.
7: Hi there. So, well, long-term, of course, aerospace uh, defense contractors have been just great winners. And I thought I would start with that to really reiterate that point. So the beginning of sector data for the S&P goes back to uh, the fall of 1989. And just consider that uh, three-line chart. I mean, the S&P, and we know that NASDAQ, with its growth names, great software, great innovators, technology, and... Aerospace and defense uh, really considerably better than that. So it's, it's getting science, if you will, and, and uh, technology a different way. Uh, great, great performers, and that probably will always be the case. In any event, let's zero in on the here and now. This is a three-, four-year chart. We have a lot of tension, right? You can see the, the setup here. We've got a series of slight lower highs and higher lows, and we've worked right into and we touched today the apex of that uh, setup. And presumptively the resolution is up, not down. Let's zero in on it more immediately. So now here it is again over the past one year. Now one could call it a lot of things, but it isn't random. It's the purpose of charts that computers look at levels, chartists look at levels, even fundamental analysts look at levels, how it responds precisely and repeatedly to lines on a page. That tension more of than not is resolved up and out, so I want to be long in general, independent of the news today. Now I want to show you a different look at this one. This is already broken out. That last one was the S&P 500 Aerospace Subindustry Group, dominated by Boeing and UTX and Raytheon and Lockheed and Northrop Grumman. This is a good ETF. It's the XAR. It's instead of 10, 12 names, it's 35 names and the weighting isn't so skewed to the big heavies. And notice, this has already broken out. So there's so many ways you can draw it. You could say, of course, it's a head and shoulders bottom. It has achieved that. This is the neckline of sorts. But it is already, as opposed to the larger names, breaking out, and it's the vehicle I would use. Now, also, just putting this in context, here it is, right? Which we know is that the big names haven't made to the high. This has broken out. I think this is where you want to be. It's also uh, an ETF that is available. But finally, there's this. This is that XAR, and here we know, right? It's just back to its high. But look at its relative performance, meaning the choices you have within industrials. So, making sharp new highs relative to Ingersoll Rand or Eaton or Emerson, or Boeing, and pick your name. Great, great space.
2: Carter, why don't you come on over here to the desk? Lizzie will bring the chair in since uh, Gino's you, off lady. today. Yes, sir. So, of individual defense stock names, which ones look the best?
7: Well, I mean, at this point, I think Northrop's okay. I mean, obviously, the two that could have been in play, let's hold those aside. Uh, The real issue is, does Boeing sort of ever get on its feet? No time soon, right? So Boeing is sort of, it doesn't look like, frankly, there's a lot of downside, but it just feels to me as though it's been reduced or brought down to a level where it belongs. But Pardon? I would say Northrop is... Can,
5: can we talk about Boeing for one second? Yeah. If you took out that early 2019 gap above um, $400, you have a stock that's 353 is this stock where it should be? We know that earnings estimates have gotten slashed because of the uncertainty regarding the max here. I mean, does take that news out, assuming the second half of the year you get a resolution, is this a stock that you want to buy if you think the Not news... Really. No. Not really.
7: I mean, I think it, it's it's peak. to drop drawdown was about 25 percent. I think it's been re-rated by the market to where it belongs. Uh, the earnings are in question. All those things that uh, we know are in the headlines. That that being said, it is in a position of being one of two players in the whole world. There's never going to be a new, for instance, uh, company. We're not going to have the Dan and Carter uh, airline that we build. No one's going to yeah. ride it. Right. So the point is, they've got their they've got their spot and they're going to hold on to it
4: first of all, I would ride on that. You airline. would ride on that? I would absolutely be first first sure i would. Dan and I built in the garage. first, said first it's passenger a- right <laughs> here. Sign me up. Nope. Can I pay in Bitcoin? I got a quick question, <laughs> though, about how we uh, how these traded today. They traded horribly today, right? Wait, wait, Open so they higher up and closed on and the closed, low. And closed on the low, <laughs> and right? And closed right at so, that line. And, right, right. So am I better off waiting for it to hit the bottom of that trend line or that? triangle that you're talking about to buy it on a risk-reward? or, or
7: Sure, that's fair. I mean, I think what's important is that it's the big names that dominate and the smaller names. There are a lot of mid-cap names that are just on their own, that are doing very well. But if, and as we're talking about that XAR, one could wait for a little pivot back to the top from which it Poked its head above.
1: So, Carter, on this, you could you took those names aside that are involved, though the marquee names, the headline names. But when you look at a General Dynamics that has trailed, yeah, that's trailed the market. So that's the one where, if the whole thing gets pulled up, you there's a rising that. tide.
7: Well, so there's two ways to think of that, right? They're not quite a commodity, right? That's not like you know Coke or Pepsi to some extent or a chemical. There is probably something about the General Dynamics business, and I think a lot of it maybe has to do with private jets, or there's that mm. element to it. Is that what is which is holding back? It's not a, necessarily a pure defense. Right. Would
3: you say that this, not just because of this happening now, but do you think that this is an industry where we'll see more consolidation? Do you see more of maybe maybe not the biggies, but some some looking down and gr- getting I some mean, of those mid-tech type of right. Names.
7: You know, they are ones that have, but there has to be a certain number of players and the government supports, but it gives a contract here it right. gives a contract. Here's interesting, I remember when I was quite young, a, a portfolio manager said to me, you know, I don't play technology because it's it's risky. Think about what happened to IBM or think about Intel. I play my technology, through defense contractors you talk about scientists like at skunk works he said this is where you get great technology exposure without having the vagaries of wow i'm the next you know twitter or what have you mm-hmm. interesting
2: broader question carter since we have you how do the markets look right now two percent away from all-time highs
7: i mean we, we've got a lot of superlatives right we had a a sell-off that was fairly unprecedented right you're talking about six weeks down in the dow then you have one of the biggest rallies of of year on a weekly basis an incredible thing we're still just churning, right? We've been doing this for 15 months with volatility. If over the past 15, 16 months, cash beating stocks, corporates beating stocks, treasury, what is the proposition that somehow stocks are going to come back to life because of trade, because of tariffs that didn't exist that do, now they don't? I mean, it's all, the, the cycle feels very peakish. All
2: right. Carter, thank you. Thank you. Carter Braxton, worth, a Cornerstone Macro. Where do you go in defense? Well, I would play the the
1: underperformer. I would go to General Dynamics because if you look at it, it, it's a well diverse play. You have marine systems, aerospace, infotech. They're all split up and they're almost the same amount of uh, billions in revenue. So eight down to four billion in revenue. So if the if the president says that he doesn't want any monopolies, you go for the most diversified play that no one can say, okay, I own one segment of the defense sector, and since it's been underperformer, I think if this one rallies, then that means the overall space is rallying as well.
5: Yeah, and I would just say that listening to him, the president, speak about this deal this morning briefly on the show, I I think that there's no certainty that it's going to happen. It's going to take an awful long time. Carter's just saying, take out two of the biggest names in the space. You may not get the performance in this group from here on out. I'm just saying, and if this deal looks like it's not going to happen, UTX and Raytheon are going lower, Mm -hmm. and you just mentioned the underperformance of uh, General Dynamics. I mean, the group doesn't feel that great to me fundamentally if this deal doesn't get done. Definitely.
4: Well, but the only thing is the president did say this morning that he wants to cut the budget except for defense. So if there's any place that you know that money's going to be coming into, it is likely in defense. So for me, I would play, let's call them the the mid or smaller caps Mm. of the area, right? Like triple L or something like HXL, those are part of the XAR ETF that Carter talked about. But I'd buy them on a pullback, right? I'd buy them back on a pullback, back to a trend line. There's a name that I'd never known
3: even of before until I saw the options get really active a couple of weeks ago, Kratos. Now, this, is, this thing is. has been absolutely on fire. If you take a look at that, that uh, chart, that? KR8, KRAS, I believe, KROS, this is a, a monster. It has been moving to the upside in the defense world. And then, then if you want to stay big, Lockheed Martin, that was a pitch stock for me a long time ago, Mel. I still believe in that company. I think they're doing everything right right
2: now. All right. Coming up, Salesforce sinking today after making its biggest acquisition on record. CEO Mark Benioff says investors are missing one key thing about this deal. We will hear from him later this hour. Plus... Coors falling flat today after Credit Suisse said the beer giant can't keep up with the competition, with shares down 2% this year as Coors tapped out. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Molson Coors falling flat today as Credit Suisse initiates the stock with an underperform rating, setting a $50 price target. That is our call of the day. Shares of the beer maker just shy of its 52-week low, as the firm says Molson Coors has significant hurdles to overcome, including a lack of international exposure and declining popularity of its beer brand portfolio as U.S. consumers shift to more high-end options. It's been a bitter year for shares of (laughs) Miller Lite, uh, Miller Lite Maker, down 3%, while competitors like Boston Beer, Anheuser-Busch, and Constellation Brands all up more than 20%. I didn't know that 75% of EBIT... Is the U.S. operation, so they're really, really dependent on what's really going on dependent
4: here. on that, and really dependent on beer, right? And that, and that's exactly the problem here. And I blame the millennials, frankly, because they don't huh. like to drink the beer; <laughs> they like their craft cocktails with their avocado toast. And could <laughs> they don't have that. That's the problem. I, I, I'm running. half joking, not, not a millennial. It's not. It's not. The problem is the millennials aren't drinking this, and as Credit Suisse points out, they don't have the balance sheet to go out and
1: attain something. So they're kind of stuck here with just the beer portfolio. Any hope? Uh, I, I think, well, they, they have to be what basically you saw Constellation do. You have to get involved in a growthy segment. Like cannabis? You have to be in cannabis. They are somewhat there, but they picked the wrong name. So Cannabis, uh, Constellation is with Canopy, so right. you get a little bit of a, a, a tailwind to that. But if, you're, if the industry is growing at 5% and you're shrinking at 10%, I could do that math pretty quick, that it doesn't take a lot of years for you not to be around. And
3: the problem is they haven't been, they've been reactive, not proactive. They haven't taken the initiative and they've sat behind while everybody else has made moves. And it reminds me of GE, where it's always a reaction later on, where it's it's always the mistake of waiting for everybody else to do something. And then it's too late. And if they start to make their moves now, are they overpaying? If they decide this is where we need to and go and we're going to leverage money. it. Well, yeah. the and they, and they don't have do the money, it. so now right. they're going to yeah. have to borrow it or, exactly. or put out debt.
2: Right, right. Wow. exactly right. So you all think it's an underperform? you all agree with Credit Suisse on this underperform rating?
5: Yep. I'm a bud man. Me, PJ, Squee, Kavanaugh.
2: What? <laughs>
5: what are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> <laughs> is this uh, the was one – on right now? Right.
2: <laughs>
1: right. We are on air. Is speaking in tongues? Miller Lite's
5: a bad product.
2: I said about budget. Period. Yeah. All right, sure. Analysis and sweet. Yeah. still ahead. Gaming's biggest week of the year kicking off with a bang as Microsoft unveils its new Xbox console. We've got all the details. Plus, Salesforce sinking after announcing a 15 billion dollar deal to buy data analytics company Tableau. The CEO just spoke to Jim Cramer. We will bring you those comments when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's Game On for Microsoft unveiling all the details surrounding its new Xbox console as a big E3 gaming event in Los Angeles gets underway. Let's get to Josh Lifton with all the details. Hey, Josh.
8: Melissa, Microsoft just put on a big show at E3, making a lot of news in the world of gaming, highlighting 60 new games, touting new subscription services, teasing its next generation Xbox console, which it says arrives in time for the holidays next year. Company also clearly placing its bets on the future of video game streaming. Microsoft will pursue that opportunity with what it calls Project X xCloud, game streaming powered by its global network of data centers. No word yet on when exactly. that's gonna be commercially available but the idea there is that gamers can play anytime anywhere it's also going to offer console streaming so a new service unveiling in October giving fans the ability to stream games from their Xbox One consoles right to their mobile devices Phil Spencer head of Xbox was on CNBC this morning talking about that opportunity
6: We invest in the cloud to reach 2 billion gamers, but we also know the heart of that experience for so many of our fans and our customers is in the home. And the fact that it's the same platform in both places gives creators one platform for them to target to reach all of those customers.
8: Of course, Microsoft isn't the only one looking to disrupt the video game industry. Google is also pursuing video game streaming with a new service it calls Stadia. Amazon reportedly is charging after this opportunity as well. Melissa, back to you.
2: All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Steve Grasso, how do you how do you trade this one? So I think they have more credibility than Google
1: if they go in here because it's already in your house. It's already on an Xbox. People already own it. i I'd probably buy this. My boys are, are always on Xbox or PlayStation. But I think ultimately it's a win for the game makers. I think you're going to need that type of content. You're going to need it. I think EA is the top performer. Activision Blizzard has been the laggard, but I think all of them ultimately rally.
2: Well, any new, introdu- any new console introduction is going to spur, right, huge sales for games as w- as well as just retail sales for a maker like GameStop.
1: Yeah, so
4: retail. so all of those are the obvious plays. I'm going to go a little bit off and say I think Disney's probably the way. They're, they're going to benefit from this all. Obviously, ESPN, on that side, you're going to get a lot of people watching this. They have the potential with everything else that they do. So I think that's kind of a, another fuel for Disney.
3: I think the real key here is when you're talking about Microsoft right now, we always talk about the cloud, we talk about everything else, and everybody forgets about gaming. And every quarter you see some of the gaming numbers, Mel, they're actually staggering numbers that no one pays attention to, but it's one more vertical that adds to Microsoft. They never gave up on gaming, they continue to uh, to, to re- evolve in what they're doing it's just amazing to me of how well they are doing and how well they're executing and again Satya Nadella he's the leader he's doing exactly what he set out to do it's cloud first but the gaming still a piece but of But the this.
1: takeaway I think is that it goes to the cloud really quick the, right. the takeaway is so the, a GameStop you're you're still going to the physical store I still go there when I want advice and I want to know how to use something for my kids but ultimately, it's in the cloud. I think that's the takeaway.
2: Well, Microsoft actually hit an all-time high today. I yeah. know you saw that, Pete. Idiot. Options traders are betting the stock is ready to level up. Dan, what would you see? Yeah,
5: really interesting action. Again, this is actually back above $1 trillion in market cap. We had four of those. I think we called the MAGA at one point. Um, but <laughs> we did. this one back above a trillion. And all the action was actually in short-dated calls that expire this Friday. Call volume was two times that of puts. One of the most active strikes was the June 14th this Friday. Friday weekly, uh, 137 calls, but 9,000 of those traded at average about 25 cents. I think 9,000 of the 135s, the 134s, the 133s, these were all traders playing for that short term momentum. And I think it's really important to remember this stock now up Uh, 10% in just a week. And look at that range right there. It obviously broke out earlier in the year. The stock's up 30% um, on the year right now. So it's a massive, massive relative strength leader within mega cap tech here. That's the price of options, implied volatility. So these traders who are playing these short dated options, obviously in premium terms they're not a whole heck of a lot. In uh, vol vol terms, they're a little more expensive. But if you're looking out as the next catalyst for this company is going to be their earnings, probably the last week of July. Option price Prices are pretty fair. So if you're looking to make a directional bet, up on a spike like that, it could be a good time to buy maybe some protection against that long as you keep rolling up some puts or to make a short-term bearish bat.
3: And yet, like you said, and I like the way you said that, was the implied volatility might look high, but you're talking about premiums that aren't that much. So the risk-reward when you've got a very low premium, like Dan's pointing out, I love those kind of trades. I do those all the time. I know this is very short term, but everything we're seeing right now continues to be short term, including these extreme short terms. This Friday expiring, I saw that in Snap. I've seen that in a lot of different technology names that are moving to the upside lately in a big, big, fast way. They're going short term because people don't really necessarily trust the rally. Hmm.
2: For more Options Action, check out our live show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Or you can tweet us at Options Action. Coming up, Salesforce sinking today after announcing it would buy Tableau software for more than $15 billion in its biggest deal ever. CEO Mark Benioff just spoke with CNBC's Jim Cramer. We'll bring you the comments. Welcome back to Fast Money. Salesforce announcing the purchase of data analytics from Tableau Software for a whopping $15.3 billion in stock. That's the biggest acquisition in Salesforce's history, dwarfing their previous record when they bought MuleSoft for $6.5 billion back in 2016. Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff sat down with Jim Cramer today to talk about his company's mega merger. Take a listen.
6: You're really touching on the third cornerstone of digital transformation, which is the analytics and the visualization and the business intelligence to see everything in your company. And as you know, Jim, there's no more amazing company in that category than Tableau, whose mission is to make sure that the world can see and understand data. And that is what excites us as well.
2: So how does this merger change the cloud stock landscape? What are the names uh, that could benefit from a big move like this, Pete?
3: You know, I look at the cloud space, and I've I've loved Salesforce for a very long time. The problem is it's expensive, and when you look at the P.E. level of it and you look at the the options in it, they're almost impossible to be able to position yourself the way you'd want to, but I love what they're doing with this acquisition because this is just one more piece Mark Benioff is putting together, and he's been wanting, we all know, he has been wanting to make a huge acquisition for a while now, and this was the name that they picked out. That was a great name. This is a Steve Weiss name, believe it or not. From a couple of years ago, he's been all over this stock for a very long Why period is it believe of time it or not. Well, because, you know, we're a little surprised that maybe Steve's all over. <laughs> so
5: so can, I, can I just say something? Listen, but did he overpay? Nobody he might have it in terms of on this desk. Well, that's the thing. You know, Benioff has dictated this secular shift in enterprise computing for the last 15 years now, and nobody can question his. It's just really interesting, though, that last week Google, which is, you know, Alphabet, a $750 billion market cap company, bought a data analytics company called Looker for $2.6 billion, and now Salesforce is using all ca- uh, all stock to pay... of their market cap for a company that has 10% of their sales, it just seems like an odd thing at an acquisition of about 100 times earnings, Although using the currency at the
3: levels of where the stock is, right?
5: But listen, you know, we've seen this in past cycles. I remember when Microsoft bought a company called Aquana because they wanted analytics as well. And they wrote off every single last dollar of the $6.5 billion that 10 years ago.
1: That actually bolsters his case more when they're using this stuff because then they they think their stock is... Not really. Guys, guys, it's massively dilutive,
5: at some point, now. everyone's going to care about the valuations well, of all
1: at, these companies and the roll-ups yes, that use their currency. Just think, just think about how much air was sucked out of the room with the Salesforce. They were the cool kids on the block, and now they're up 11% year-to-date SAP. One of the old-time names is up 30%, Intuit up 30%, over 30%, Workday up 30%. Doesn't it tell you that maybe Salesforce is losing a little bit of oxygen in the room and they had a reach for this? I don't know. That's what, that's the way I read it, but that's what traders do. You want to see what you see. I think that this one is probably a sell.
2: Was there any evidence in the options market that this deal was happening?
3: Well, if, if there, wa- there was, but it, you have to go way back. Oh. Back in February, believe it or not, they were buying October calls in exactly this name. Really? Somebody was. In huge numbers, and this absolutely is a home run for them in Tableau that I'm talking about.
2: Yeah. Well, all right, you can catch Jim Cramer's full interview with Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff. That's coming up 6 p.m. Eastern time on Mad Money. He's also got a big lineup, so you want to tune in. Coming up next, Final Trades. Bitcoin alert. The cryptocurrency has been on a wild ride in the past month. It is now hovering back at $8,000. So what do you make of this rally, BK?
4: Well, it was kind of slow over the weekend, but this morning came in. Buyers from the U.S. came in to buy this. We're starting to see a lot of interest coming from institutions. Uh, there's several different institutions that are looking to get into this. The other thing I would say from a fundamental perspective, the one, one of the most important things to look at is address creation. That's growing at about 10% a month over the last month or so. There doesn't seem to be any slowing in that. That's a very positive thing for the, for, bit, for the Bitcoin price. So you're starting to see fundamentals line up with institutions come in, and the demand is there. Now, remember also, next year you're going to get supply cut in half in what's called the halving. So you have a lot of demand hitting a little bit of supply. It's relatively positive for Bitcoin.
2: All right. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Pete. Had
3: some great option activity again today, and this is multiple days in a row. Snap. Keep an eye on it. They're buying the upside. They continue to think it goes higher.
4: BK, Brian Kelly. Yeah, BK was completely unimpressed with the way the market traded today. Closed on the lows. You sell SPY or protect your portfolio with buying
1: puts. Mm. Steve Brasso. You know what got hit the most off the Mexican tariffs?
4: What
2: got hit the most off the Mexican Auto tariffs?
1: Automakers. So Ford and GM. GM was clobber. GM wow. has not been the favorite in the space. It's up 7% year-to-date. Ford up 28% year-to-date. I would say buy Ford.
5: Uh, so, you know, it was a panic to buy Microsoft over the last week. I mean, the stock literally went from like 119 and a half up to those recent highs today. It kind of closed on the lows here. I think you take profits. In this All
2: right. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. For more Fast Money, Meantime, Don't Go Anywhere, Mad Money with Jim Cramer and in his interview with Mark Benioff starts right now.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.